Good morning. I'm excited about today. So I hope you guys are too. Um, great time of worship. Uh, great time um, just to be together today. So uh, we get to continue this series called Walking with Jesus, Lessons from the Holy Land. And so uh, I shared last week that Jennifer and I just returned from our second trip actually to Israel um, and just got back a, a couple weeks ago. So uh, this is kind of fresh on our mind. And throughout this series, our goal is just to help you look at Israel, the Holy Land, in, in a new way. Um, when we read now, it's like sometimes we read about places and things and, and people, and, and, and we just we don't really know what to think sometimes, right? We kind of create a picture in our mind of what we think it may be like. I want to kind of help fill in some of those missing pieces of the puzzle to help you gain a better understanding. And I want it to be more than just a history lesson. I really want it to be a time where we can learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about uh, Jesus leaving Nazareth after being rejected and going to Capernaum. And uh, this week, we're going to focus in on the Jordan River. Now, I didn't mention uh, last week, but every Monday night, we're also doing a life group that ties into what we're talking about on Sunday morning. So uh, tomorrow night, uh, we're going to be talking about the Jordan River uh, a little more in depth. So if you want to, uh, if this kind of picks your interest a little bit and you, and you want to take the next step, I invite you to join us for our life group on Monday nights. We meet over at Center 242 at 630, but um, I, I'll mention that a little bit. But this morning, I'm going to do kind of like last week. I'm going to start off with a video that kind of shows you some pictures and, and places. Then we're going to share the message, and then I'll come back with a, a message at the end from Israel. So uh, let's go ahead and show the first. The Jordan River has always been a significant part of the biblical story. It's a symbolic place of transition for God's people. The Jordan River starts in the northern mountains of Galilee, from Mount Hermon in the mountains in Lebanon the snowmelt and springs come together to form rivers that flow together, and then the Jordan River flows south, and it flows downhill until it reaches the Sea of Galilee, which is almost 700 feet below sea level. From the Sea of Galilee, the river flows again, and it flows south along the border of Israel and Jordan, and it flows to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on earth at 1,400 feet below sea level. In biblical times as now, the Jordan River is a dividing line. In the Bible, it was the line that must be crossed by the Israelites to enter into the promised land. It was the dividing line between Elijah being taken up into heaven and the start of Elisha's ministry as he crossed over the Jordan. It was the dividing line between the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus. The river has always been a symbol of change. Even today, the Jordan River divides the country of Israel and the West Bank from the East Bank of the country of Jordan. And as you travel along the river, you will see signs of the military border everywhere you look. Near Jericho, you will find the place referred to as Bethany beyond the Jordan. It's the traditional site where it is believed that Jesus was baptized by John and where the Israelites crossed into the promised land. Now, due to irrigation and higher water usage due to the increased population, the Jordan River has shrunk to only 12 to 15 feet wide at this point. 
but it is here where pilgrims come to be baptized in the Jordan at the traditional site. You will see people from all over the world travel here to be baptized in this special place. Both Israel and Jordan use this location for baptisms during the day, although it is still a strategic military location at night. Today, we will explore the significance of the Jordan River as we look to Scripture to learn more about moving from slavery to freedom and from death to life. So that's a, a neat place there. I uh, hope that gave you a, Were you surprised at the width of the river now? And I think when we picture in our mind and the, the Israelites crossing the Jordan, we, and it was in biblical times, much, much wider. It could be up to a mile wide in flood times. Uh, so now you look at it, just it looks like a stream, um, but you kind of take that uh, and imagine what that would be like, um, you know, thousands of years ago. It was much, much different. Uh, and so that's your introduction to the Jordan River today. Um, I'm going to be talking today about our identity. Uh, Eric Geiger wrote a book. He's a pastor. He wrote a book called Identity, and, and in it he shared uh, about this uh, a social psychologist. It was from the 1960s, and a guy named Eric Erickson, he developed a theory of development. This guy, he's not a biblical scholar. He's not a theologian, um, but he studied people, right? He observed and studied people. In his model uh, of psychology, uh, he said teenagers reach a point of developmental crisis. He calls this crisis uh, role confusion versus identity. In other words, teenagers are searching for an identity. Uh, they want to discover who they are apart from their parents. They want to be known for something and for anything. Um, and he goes on to talk, teenagers are searching for this identity, for their reputation. For many, he, he would say a bad reputation is better than no reputation. They experiment with how they dress, their music, their friends, their hobbies, even how they walk, attempting to define who they are. Erickson believed that if people do not establish a coherent sense of their own personal identity, they would struggle throughout their lives with relating to others and relating to the world around them. According to him, if a teenager does not walk away from his adolescent years with a clear sense of who he is, he will never have a healthy personality. He will be stuck. He will be continually confused about who he is. He will live the rest of his life wavering back and forth, still searching for an identity. He will live in perpetual adolescence for the rest of his life, stuck as a teenager in an adult's body. And he goes on to say, this Eric Geiger, the pastor, he says, sadly, many Christians are stuck in an adolescent faith. And what is the reason for, the, for their entrapment? What are, why are so many Christians living in a spiritual high school? He says, I believe that stagnancy is, direct, is directly proportionate to the fact that most Christians don't know who they are. Most Christians lack a coherent sense of who God has made them to be. And so they wander through life merely existing instead of living the reality of who God has called them to be. 
Now, it's interesting to me reading about that psychologist and his kind of thesis there that uh, teenagers are stuck trying to find their identity. And I've worked with teenagers for a lot of years, and, um, and I know even from my own personal experience, and it's like one week you're like I, I was into um, when I was growing up. This is kind of embarrassing to even say. Like one week I would be like wearing the fat shoelaces and into rap music, right? And the next week you're wearing your cowboy boots and your backwards hat and like, you know, you go, you have this and and then the next week you're listening to heavy metal. I mean, that's kind of, that was my childhood. Okay. Because what teenagers are searching for an identity. They're searching for who they are. And we see that today, right? And, And there's so much confusion about who you really are. We live in a time where it seems like everybody is confused about their identity We see this displayed, I think, most prominently with all the confusion around gender identity and sexual identity. Teens are searching. And and if you want to get confused, go online and search for how many genders there are. Okay? I mean, you you talk about, I I did that this morning just out of curiosity. The first article that pulled up said there are 16 genders. Why 16? I mean, this is crazy, but what is it? It's the problem is we're searching for an identity and we're trying to define who we are apart from the God who created us. And so we try to come up with all of these ideas. and, and, And so it really comes down to this, who gets to define us? Who gets to define us? Who gets to label us and identify us? It's not the world. It's not the other people around you. I would say it's not even yourself that you get to to label you. It's the God who created you. It's the God who designed you. It's the God who has placed you here. He is the one that gets to define who you are. And that's a pretty radical concept in today's world. It's a pretty controversial one. Like, who are you to tell me who I am? Well, it's not me. It's the God who created us that gets to define us. And so um, Eric Geiger in that book, he said, while careers and relationships and possessions are hobbies, all those things, they're important aspects of our daily life. They don't last. They don't last forever. But while God breathes purpose and meaning into the details of our life, when we seek our identity in places other than Christ, we will find ourselves empty. So we have a choice. We can bounce from relationship to relationship, possession to possession, career to career, trying to find our identity, stuck in that adolescent phase of who are we really, or we can embrace God's invitation to lose our lives and find our identity in him. That's, that's, this is so key, and I think it's missing for so many people. We're trying to find our identity in everything else rather than God. I really, truly believe if we could get this one concept down of understanding who we really are, it would change everything about how we live our life. It would change how we relate to other people. It would change how we worship God. It would change everything about us. He goes on to say, God invites us to this new and incredible identity. God invites us to find ourselves in him, and only in him are we truly made whole. This invitation to become a follower of Christ is also an invitation to a new identity. When you became a Christian, your identity changed. You've been made new through your relationship with Christ. Your old life, your old identity is dead. All right? We're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. 
And so uh, why am I talking about that? Let's kind of, I'm going to jump into the message today and kind of walk us through the significance of the Jordan River. Here's the, the first point today. The, the Israelites discovered their true identity by crossing over the Jordan. This was a, a significant event in the time uh, uh, of really redemptive history. Passing through the water uh, represented this huge change in God's plan. We know the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Right? They got to the Red Sea, and what happened at the Red Sea? He parted the Red Sea. The Israelites crossed uh, across on dry land. But what should have been a quick and easy journey from Egypt into the promised land, how long did it end up taking? 40 years because of their disobedience. They were left wandering in the wilderness. 40 years of waiting, 40 years of wandering, 40 years of saying, we're almost there, but we can't cross over from the Jordan into the promised land. Uh, Moses had, they, they were camped in the plains of Moab, which was on the east bank of the Jordan. Uh, Moses had passed down the mantle of leadership to Joshua. Moses was able to climb to the peak of Mount Nebo, which you, you can see from Israel today. You can see Mount Nebo in the distance, and he could see the promised land. He had brought God's people this far out of slavery and brought them to this point. But now it was time after his death for Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And you read about that in Joshua chapter 3. And I, I want to read this to you. Uh, we'll pick it up in around verse 9. And it says this, So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, it will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priest will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. And as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So imagine with me for a minute. Imagine the Israelites, the whole nation, right, escaping slavery in Egypt but being stuck in the wilderness, and if you see the wilderness there, in a few weeks we'll see some pictures of what it looks like in the, the desert region, in the wilderness region. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you, I, one of the things I was really surprised by in Israel was how, how quickly the land transitions from one type of geography to the next. 
So you have the desert, the Negev Desert in the south from the Sinai Peninsula and Egypt on up to the Dead Sea. And it's, it's desert. Then you get into the wilderness area, which is more mountainous but still just barren. And then you start as you get to Jerusalem, you, you cross over from the wilderness into all of a sudden this, this place that starts reminding you of home a little bit. Right, trees and grass and green. And, and then as you get on, as you keep going north, you transition from that into these huge, wide, open fields and uh, farmland everywhere you look. And then you transition from that and you get into the mountains around Galilee and it is tropical. You start seeing banana trees everywhere and palm trees and all this tropical. And then you keep going. It gets more lush as you get into the mountains of northern Galilee and, and Lebanon. And, and you see just this you see this incredible change right from desert barren wilderness into the promised land the the land that was flowing with milk and honey that the bible describes and so this is so interesting uh, uh, this this joshua by this time an entire generation had passed away it was now time for god is asking joshua to lead my people into the promised land and the Jordan River was the dividing line between slavery and freedom. It's what they had seen time and time again. And they knew once they crossed that, then it was time to take possession of the land that God had promised them. And so the question really became, would they trust God? Would they find their true identity? And, you know, I, I love, he, you know, he, he says here, and we read this in, um, uh, in Joshua chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, Today you will know that the living God is among you. Today, that's what he's telling you. Today, you're going to understand who I am. You're going to understand, right, what I'm calling you to do. And then as you keep reading into Joshua 4, God has, has them take stones and build a, a monument, an altar to remember what he has done. He wanted them to, to know that God is with them. And you read in Joshua 4 that, that that day that the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. And so God was giving Joshua this new identity. He was showing the Israelites that they were his. And then as you kind of get to the end of chapter 4, he says, he did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So this was such a, a significant place for, the, for the, the, the nation of Israel. They had crossed out of slavery. They, they were now going into the land that God had promised them. Now he was doing this. He was going to demonstrate to everyone who God really is. They were finding out who they were and they were finding out who God was. And so that kind of brings me to my second point. In today's time, let's bring it up to the current day. Knowing your identity is critical to living life with Christ. I think sometimes that, I would say this, I don't know if you agree, but I think churches sometimes tend to fall into the trap of just preaching and teaching, here's what you do and here's what you don't do. Right? And there's, there's, 
you know, there's always that, that push to do that. You, you need to talk about this issue. You need to talk about this. You need to tell people they can't do this and they should be doing this. And, and, and it's, but here, it's more important to talk about who you are and whose you are. Because all that other stuff is going to flow out of your identity when you understand who you really are. And so, you know, we, we've got to be careful to not approach our faith as a way, let's, let's act our way into our new identity. Let's do this. Let's fake it till we make it, right? That, that kind of mentality. Instead of, we need to begin with our identity instead of beginning with our behavior. And, and then when we do that, our identity is the starting point. When you know who you are, you know whose you are, you know who God has created you to be, you know who God is, then it's going to change how you look at the world. When we fast forward and look at this same place on the Jordan River, the place I showed you in the beginning video there near Jericho, uh, the place called now Bethany beyond the Jordan, uh, we'll find an encounter with John the Baptist at this same place. And so this is only a few miles north of the Dead Sea, right? This is um, this is this is a, a pretty uh, you know pretty significant place here, and uh, it's between Jerusalem and Jericho. There's other stories that happen. We'll talk about like uh, uh, this is where the the story of the Good Samaritan uh, kind of took place as well. Um, as you go from uh, Jerusalem um, down to uh, uh, down to Jericho, down to the Dead Sea. It's uh, Jerusalem to, to the Dead Sea is about a 13 miles. It's about 13 miles, so not far. Jerusalem is an elevation. It's almost identical to Galax. So put that in your head. It's uh, 2,800 feet or 2,500 to 3,000 feet, depending on uh, where you're at in Jerusalem. It's mountainous there. So uh, our hotel was the exact elevation of our house here in Galax. So uh, it was the identical you go 13 miles, you go from that elevation, almost 3,000 feet, to negative 1,400 feet in 13 miles. Pretty, pretty significant drop-off, right? Almost 4,000 feet, you do the math, right? Four, over 4,000 feet elevation change in 13 miles. Um, that gives you a little bit of perspective about where you've got Jerusalem. And when they talk about going up to Jerusalem from, from Jericho, you see why they say going up even, right? And so they're down here at Jericho. This place that's hot, this place that's uh, tropical because it's so low. And it's here where John the Baptist was in the wilderness. We think of the wilderness like uh, we, we think about being in the backwoods, right? You think about being in mountains and trees and woods. and No, it's like barren wilderness, like rocks and caverns and caves. That's where he was. And this is where Jesus went to find John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, it tells us about it. It says, uh, this encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit 
descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. You read about this also in Mark chapter 1, and it says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus come up, came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. All right, you, you, we've heard this verse. You are my dearly beloved son, and the father right and i'm pleased this is this is this is the verse that we hear we have god the father god the son and god the holy spirit all together and this is the time where the identity of jesus was revealed this is my dearly beloved son in whom i'm well pleased this is this is the time where uh, everyone got to see this is who jesus really is and if Jesus was reminded of his identity, don't you think it's important for us as well to know who we are? When Christ was baptized, and, and we read about it here in Mark 1, this Greek word that describes the heavens opening up, it's the same word used later in Mark chapter 15 to describe the curtain in the temple being torn in two. We see the connection between Jesus' baptism and his death. And what it does, it's opening up salvation to us. It's giving us access to the God who created us. It's telling us we are his. We are his people. And again, the Jordan here is this place that established the identity of Jesus. So what establishes our identity? What defines your life? If someone asks you, tell me, who are you? No, no, who are you really? How would you answer that question? I'll tell you, it may be easy to think about it this way. It's easier, I think, to say what you're not. Okay? Your identity, it's not based on your past mistakes. I think so, so often we, our identity is wrapped up in how we've messed up and whether it's a past sin or whether it's your past addictions or whether it's your divorce or whether whatever it is you went through, you wrap up your identity in, in, in the mistakes of the past and who you used to be. And so we get wrapped up. That's, that's how we define ourselves. I'm a mistake. A lot of people think that way. Your identity, I would also say this, it's not based on your past trauma. There's a lot of people who have gone through abuse and betrayal and all sorts of horrible things in your past. And it's so easy to, to, to kind of stay in the past and, and say, that's what happened to me. And I'm just, that's who I am now. And so we wrap up our identity in what has happened to us. Your, your identity is not based on your performance, your job, your salary, your accomplishments, your, your education. It's not based on those things. So many people like, uh, and, and, and you know, if you ask somebody, who are you? Well, the first thing you lead with is, here's my job, right? And that, that's not who you really are. It's what you do, but it's not who you are. Your identity is not based on what other people think or say about you. 
So many times we've let other people label us and identify us and, and give us a name that is really not, they don't, they don't have that right. They don't have that privilege. The only one who can define us is the God who created us. And your identity, it's not based on your own distorted desires, what you want to do or what you think you want to do, what you desire, what you wish you could do. That's not who you are either. And so um, I was thinking about this this week, and uh, there's a Christian movie out there. Have you all ever seen the movie Overcomer? It's one of those movies. It's, a, it's kind of a cross-country movie. So if you're a runner... It's about a little girl who's running cross country and she's struggling with finding her identity. And, um, and, and she gets to this point in the movie and she comes to the coach and she says, I know, who, coach, ask me who I am. Ask me who I am. And, and he said, okay, who are you? And she said this, she said, I am created by God. He designed me so I'm not a mistake. His son died for me just so I could be forgiven. He picked me to be his own so I'm chosen. He redeemed me so I am wanted. He showed me grace just so I could be saved. He has a future for me because he loves me. So I don't wonder anymore. I am a child of God. That, that's understanding your identity, right? That's understanding who you are and whose you are. There's a conversation in that same movie uh, between the coach and a kind of an older mentor here. And he says, if I asked you who you are, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The coach says, well, I'm a basketball coach. And the guy asks, what if that's stripped away? Well, I'm a history teacher, okay? We take that away. Who are you? He said, well, I'm a husband. I'm a father. He said, God forbid that should ever change. But if it does, who are you? He says, the coach is getting frustrated. He says, I don't understand this game. He says, it's not a game, man. Who are you? Well, I'm a white American male. <laughs> the guy who's black says, yeah, that's for sure. And you have to watch this movie. He says, is there anything else? He says, well, I'm a Christian. And what does that mean? It means I'm a follower of Christ. And how important is that? Well, it's very important. And then he says, well, interesting how far it is down your list. Wait a minute, I, I could have easily said Jesus first. He says, yeah, but you didn't. Look, your identity will be tied to whatever you give your heart to. It doesn't sound like the Lord has first place. What is your identity? Who are you? Right? This is so important that we grasp this concept. What, do we, what are we attaching our identity to? It is so easy to attach our identity to what we do instead of who we are. So it's so easy to start thinking about ourselves as, well, this is, this is all the stuff I've accomplished or this is all the stuff I desire to do or this is what's happened to me instead of saying, I am a child of God. I've been forgiven. I've get, been given a new life. I once was dead, but now I'm found, right? Now I'm alive. You know, when, when Jesus was baptized, it was establishing, right? Here is the Lamb of God who, who came to take away the sin of the world. Here's the one who's my dearly beloved son, right? In whom I am well pleased. So much of the New Testament. I'll, I'll say we see who Jesus is, but then it starts reminding us of who we are. Read Romans 8 this week. You get some time, read the whole chapter. It starts off there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? 
tell Romans, and that's right after Romans 7, which is like, why do I keep on messing up? Why do I keep on sinning? Why do I struggle so much with who I am? And then it jumps right into Romans 8, that right, um, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Then it jumps into, I'm more than an overcomer. Then it jumps into, right, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That whole chapter is about who we are. There's so many passages in, in the New Testament. First Peter is another one. Uh, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, right, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So much of the Bible is, us, is God just telling us, do you know who you really are? Do you know what I've created you to do? Do you know why you're still here? This is who you really are. You're, you're a child of God. You're a chosen people. You're a priest. You're the bride. You're holy. You're, uh, you belong to God. You're God's people. You are an alien in this world. You're an ambassador. There's so much, so much throughout the New Testament just telling us who we are. And as we understand who we are, we are enabled to, by God to live out the reality of that identity. So it affects how we live. It affects, it, it kind of takes us out of this performance-based Christianity where God only likes me if I do well. And instead, it makes us understand God really cares about me. That's why he came to, to, to die in, in my place. This is, this is love. And, and so that kind of leads me to my last point this morning that baptism is this invitation to discover your new identity. In, in the ancient world, the, the act of baptism, it was done even, it even predates Christianity, but it was done as an identification ritual, right? It was done to identify you with the group that you were with. And so when Christianity came and said, okay, we're going to baptize you, now what it's showing, it's saying we're going to do this symbolic act that shows now that you're identified with the one who is baptizing you. And we come to discover that the Jordan River is this place of identity. This is where Jesus launched his ministry with the de declaration of who he is. And, and when we publicly express our faith through baptism, what are we doing? We're identifying with his life, his death, and his resurrection. Right? We're, we're, it's, so, it's so incredible, this picture, right, that we were once dead and now we're new now we're, we're new, have new life, or you know, now our sins are washed away, and now we're 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 cle we're, we're we're living a new life. We've come up out of the grave. This is everything has changed about us. That's this picture of baptism. And so we read in Galatians three: For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. 
It's like once we're baptized, this is showing the world, hey, I'm not ashamed to follow Jesus. It's putting on Christ. It's living with Christ. It's, it's everything has changed. And that kind of leads me to my, my last video this morning, which we filmed on our first trip to, to Israel back in April. So I'm standing here on the banks of the Jordan River. Um, this is a very special place. It's a place where Joshua led the Israelites uh, into the Promised Land. Uh, we're near Jericho. Uh, just so many uh, things here. We see Jesus going to John the Baptist and being baptized in the, in the Jordan. But baptism is a very special uh, act of obedience for any Christian. Uh, when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, they had to step foot in the Jordan River first. Uh, they had to take that first step uh, and trust God in doing that. And really for us, that's what baptism is. It's a step of obedience. It's us saying to God, we trust you. And so for us, we look in scripture and we see that the first act of obedience, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, it's to be baptized in obedience to Jesus. Now, we believe that baptism doesn't save you, but it's a symbol to the world that you are uh, trusting in Jesus, that you're going to follow him. It's a public declaration to the world around you that you're not ashamed of your faith. And so I'm wet right now. I just was baptized in the Jordan River, an incredible experience. So it was really just something special. And there's people from all different countries here, people from all over the world. Uh, right across the river are people from the, the country uh, of Jordan, uh, people from all over the world here gathering. But it doesn't matter where you're baptized, but have you trusted in Jesus enough to say, I'm going to follow you. I'm not ashamed of what I believe. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of what you've done in my life. Uh, just like a wedding ring is a symbol to the world around you that hey, I'm married, that I've made a commitment, that I've made a declaration in my life. That's what baptism is. Baptism is that symbol to the world around us that you are a follower of Jesus. Uh, and so my question to you today is, have you taken that step of obedience? And if not, what's keeping you from doing that? What is holding you back from trusting Jesus, from publicly declaring to the world that you are a follower of Jesus? So that's the Jordan River. When we were there this last time, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was able to baptize several people in our group, and I was down there, and it was much more crowded this last time. And so there were in that little area where we were, there were three different pastors kind of baptizing, and I'm standing there, and all of a sudden this 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 woman comes forward that I've never seen before, and she just walks down, stands up, and I'm like, I start talking to her. She doesn't speak English. And I'm like, oh, do you want to be baptized? And she's just like, like she's just waiting. And I'm like, okay, we're going to baptize you. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, I baptize her. She gets out. And then this guy comes in. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to be here a while. I'm the Mike the baptizer, right? <laughs> I baptize him and come up. I'm like, okay, anybody? And come to find out um, they were from the country of Colombia. Uh, their daughter had brought them, and they had been separated in their marriage for 24 years. And she brought her parents to, to Israel and wanted them to be baptized. And uh, they, she, was a, she was part of a, an active church, and they were, all, they were all believers, but they couldn't speak English. So I'm just down there baptizing. I'm like, this is, you know, this is, but that's a picture of heaven, right? I mean, this is like, 
This is people from all nations, country coming together and celebrating their identity in Christ. And so my question to you is, right, what's holding you back? If you've not been baptized, why not? Now, we had our river baptism, uh, you know, last, back in August. We'll do another one this fall. So if this is something, if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to do it because it shows who you really are. All right. In that book, Identity, it says, God is honored when you grasp who you are because when you really get it, when you really understand who God has made you, your automatic response is to, de to, to declare how great God is. It's not how great you are. It's how great God is. And so today, uh, I want to close off, close out the service with Romans chapter 6. Uh, the praise team, as I'm reading this, this is a little bit of a long past. Y'all start coming back up and getting ready. But in Romans chapter 6, it says, well, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? All right. This is an argument people were making. Well, if God forgives us and we receive his grace when we sin, let's just sin a lot. We can do whatever we want whenever we want. He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? It's talking about our identity. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we have also been raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. It's all about our identity, who we are. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, this is, this is the result of who our new identity, who we are. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Amen? It's what we call to do, to live differently as a result of who we are. And so my question is, what would change today if you lived in the confidence of what God really says about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this chance to get into your word and understand more about who we are, who you've created us to be. And so, Heavenly Father, this morning, my prayer is that we would all just have a confidence in who we really are and who we belong to. If we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ to save us, then we have been forgiven of our sin justified before God and brought into the family of God. So Heavenly Father, help us to understand that and help us to live in that. And 
and this morning, Lord, my prayer is that every person listening, whether online, whether here, they would know that they really are truly saved, that they have put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And not only that, that they would then in obedience be baptized to demonstrate to the world this new identity they have. So give us confidence, give us encouragement, give us the boldness to to step out and share with the world who we really are. Help us not to be slaves of sin. Help us not to be defined by our past. Help us not to be defined by our achievements. Help us to know that we are a child of God. That's my prayer this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.